Okay, so we are in the second week of our series called The Bright Side. We're trying to look at life with positivity versus negativity because all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, it's very easy for us to become negative. And so we are going to talk today about kind of what Maddie was talking about is praise, praising God, even though it's tough to do in hard times. How can we use praise as a weapon to battle the negativity. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I wanted to ask you guys a question, though. How many of you would say that you're an optimistic person? Please raise your hand. Are you optimistic? Hey, we've got a lot of optimistic people here. That's awesome. How many of you would be honest and say that you're pessimistic? A few. Okay. How about, how about the in-betweener, the realist? I'd like, to hear, I'd like to see that. Okay. Now, now, real quick, in my observation, uh, as an optimistic person, uh, the people who are pessimist, pessimistic call themselves realists. So, hey, no, no offense, but no offense, but they're like, hey, I just, I just see things real, right? I just want to be real about this situation, right? So, anyway, uh, that's, that's not really what I want to get into, optimism versus pessimism. Although we'll look at what optimism is spiritually, the bigger question is, are you a negative or a positive person? How do you respond to tough times and trials in your life? Do you trust God or do you worry a bunch? That's the question. And you know what Jesus said? He said, don't worry, right? You know what the Bible says? It says, have no fear. Don't worry. Paul says, don't be anxious, right? Because uh, clinical studies have proven that 90% of the things that we worry about don't even actually happen to us, okay? That's crazy to think about. All the things that we worry about consuming our thought life and our minds and 90% of those things don't actually happen. Now, I don't know how they came up with that statistic, but I'm just going to run with it because it sounds good. Uh, but the thing is, is that God has always come through in my own life. And so I'm able to stand up here and say, while he hasn't always done things the way I wanted him to do them, he has always come through. Therefore, he deserves my trust. He deserves my faith. He is worthy of my praise even when life is hard, because oftentimes uh, God allows hard times and trials to come into our lives to sometimes get our attention. And you know what? He has the big picture in mind in life's circumstances. So whether it's whatever you're going through right now, whether it's scrolling through Facebook and you can't help but to latch on to those negative posts and start commenting and like, yeah, I'm with you on that. Screw these guys, you know, whatever, like on, on, on social media, whether that's one of your temptations or whether it is, you know, a real thing going on, a job loss because of economic situations or you're just negative about all the restrictions, uh, we can choose in all of that to turn into praise God. And so I want to give you three, three things to help you help build your, uh, your faith and your trust in this idea of being able to praise God in tough times. And the first thing I want to say is this. We can't change our circumstances, but we can change our attitudes. You know, there used to be a pastor that worked for Alpine Church. His name was Steve Bennetson. He actually, you know, uh, married my wife and I at the Riverdale campus. And he used to be a sailor before he was a full-time pastor. 
uh, and he would talk about how the greatest sailors would be able to uh, change course and change direction and make adjustments when storms came. You see, when, when strong headwinds come in and you're sailing, uh, those winds push against you from trying to get to the place that you're trying to go. But a good sailor would know how to trim the sails and turn them and change them so that it could actually catch that wind and get you to where you needed to go. And sometimes you'd have to go in a zigzag fashion, so you'd have to let the wind pull you this way, and then you use that momentum to go back this way in a zigzag fashion. And so the same thing can be said for our lives, is we can take these storms that happen in our lives and choose to redirect them as energy sometimes, right? I don't know about you, but that's happened so often in my life where something bad has come into my life, but I've used it as a challenge to say, hey, I'm gonna get out of this or I'm gonna trust God or I'm gonna dig deeper into his word to find out why am I going through this and how do I make it through? And the truth is, the truth is, is how we think and how we live out and, and the attitude that we present out there, the one that we hold most true to ourselves, did you know that it affects our, our physical, not just spiritual and mentally, but, but our attitude affects our physical well-being, our health even. And the Bible has, has said this and known this for a long time, but doctors and psychologists have now just started to, to find out that uh, a, a negative attitude and being uh, just down and gloomy and, and all those types, types of attitudes that aren't positive uh, can lead to bad health. Here's one of these verses in Proverbs 17:22. I like this translation because it puts it like this. Being cheerful keeps you healthy, but it's a slow death to be gloomy all the time. So, we can't change the circumstances that we're in, but we can choose how we react to it. And if we can choose to be cheerful, we can keep our health. <laughs> we can stay alive during these tough times. But if we're going to be gloomy all the time and buy into the negativity, it's not just affecting you mentally, not just spiritually, but even physically. Have you ever questioned that? Have you ever just struggled with maybe some health problems and you don't know why? But, but maybe, maybe take a look at your attitude. Maybe that is giving into a, being a factor of that a little bit. But we're going to look at a story in Acts chapter 16 of two men who uh, were dealt with wrongly and unjustly, okay? And uh, if anybody had room to be negative and complain because of outside circumstances affecting their life, it would be these two men. It's Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 22, but before I tell you, or before we read the verses, I want to give you a little context. What's happening here is that Paul and Silas have been called by God to go plant churches, and so he's on his second missionary journey, and he's going through a place called Philippi, and, and, and you know that they, he wrote a letter later to them called the Philippians in the New Testament, but he's going through this place called Philippi, and, and they're sharing the gospel, the good news with people, and this fortune teller, it's an interesting story, a fortune teller starts following them around and telling everybody around them, you know, look out for these guys, these guys work for God, the Son of the Most High. They're coming to tell you the message. And Paul, after a while, he just got irritated with this fortune teller. And it says that she had a spirit of divin divination. She was filled with a demonic spirit as a fortune teller. And Paul got irritated and cast the demon out of her. 
And, and so what happened because of that is the family who owned this girl, she was a slave girl at the time, uh, they lost their income because they were making a bunch of income off this girl telling fortunes. And just a little side note, by the way, uh, I think it's interesting. We had this conversation recently in our Wednesday night small group. Uh, we talked about, you know, different things like new age and, uh, you know, fortune telling and, and palm reading and all that type of stuff. And what, what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, this is interesting. It's saying that uh, this girl had this demonic spirit that she was actually able to tell some things that were true, some kind of power uh, that was in her, but it was the wrong kind of a power. So I want you to be, I just, as a side note, I want you to be aware of that, right? So, so there are things out there in the world that seem like they're true and right, and, and sometimes people worry so much, and they're not getting an answer from God, they'll run to the, the nearest uh, fortune teller, or they'll pick up their magic eight ball and say, God's not answering me. What should I do? Should I break up with my boyfriend? And it always says yes, right? Just remember that. But just think about that. It's, it's just amazing to me. This is a side note. I don't want to get too off track, but this girl was able to tell fortune. She was filled with a, a demonic spirit, had to be cast out of her. And so when you're worrying, be, be careful where you run to. That's, that's what I want you to get out of that. So anyways, the family is angry now. They're not making any money off of this fortune teller girl. And so they take him to court and basically get him thrown in jail. Here's what happens uh, in the next verse. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into the stocks. Now think about this. What would you do in this? You're doing the seemingly right thing. You're following God. You're planting churches. You're sharing the gospel. You're casting out demons. You're standing for truth. And you get locked up for it. You get beaten for it. How would you react? Think about it. I, don't, I think I would struggle on how I reacted, right? I would, I would like be like, you don't know who you're messing with. I'm a, I'm a tough guy, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight back, right? I'm not going to let this happen to me. Or I'd get thrown in jail and I would be, man, life sucks so bad. Why is this happening to me? Getting mad at God even, right? I mean, this is what happens when things come up in our life that seem so unfair even, right? There are things and circumstances outside of us we have no control over, kind of like the way that life is going now, and we get mad at God, and, and we question, and, and we run to all this other stuff to try to get answers. But here's how Paul and Silas react in the next couple of verses. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Isn't that amazing? Instead of reacting negatively to this situation that they were in, they're praying and singing hymns to God. They're like, you know what? I got some free time now, God. I know we were busy out there. We were running around doing all kinds of things. 
Thank you for giving me some time to just focus on you. I'm going to praise and I'm going to sing. And it says the other prisoners were able to listen in on it. Like, what's up with these guys? What's going on with these guys? Why are they so positive right now? Everything's negative. You know, we're in this terrible dungeon, it says. And uh, I don't know if you remembered from that first song we sang today, but it talked about prisons shake at the sounds of Jesus' name. Chains, chains are gone. And I think it was referring to these exact verses where the prison was shaken and the doors immediately flew open. And I got to tell you, we did not even plan that. That's crazy to me, by the way. God is so good how he works out things like that. But um, So God comes through in this situation and he shows his power. And, and then it goes on to talk about and I don't have the verses up there, but it goes on to talk about how uh, the Philippian jailer comes in and he's like, what happened? And he sees all the, everybody's not there and all their, their chains are loosened and gone. And the guy himself gets worried. He's not a believer at the time. And he's worried. And he, 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 he says, I'm going to kill myself. He, he decides to take his own life with his sword he, he thinks he's going to do that. But right before that happens, Paul jumps out and says, no, we're all here, brother. Don't harm yourself. And I just want to say that again, that there are people here probably that have been affected by it. Maybe you've thought of it yourself before because things are so down, because things have gotten bad and circumstances in your life, but that you've thought about that or you've known someone who's thought about doing that that just know that God wants to come through for you as well. He wants you to know that you can trust in him. He wants you to know that he wants to change how you feel on the inside. He has the power to do that because what goes on after this is how Paul tells him not, don't do that. Let me tell you the gospel. Let me tell you about Jesus and how good he is. And so he tells him the good news and he says, what do I got to do then to be saved? And he believes and then he goes and gets baptized, him and his entire family. And then they invite Paul and Silas over for dinner. The Philippian jailer who is holding him captive now his life is transformed. He was at a low spot in his life himself, and Paul changes it by telling the gospel to him and letting Jesus come into his life, and their whole life is changed because of that. Now, there's so much in this story, but one of the things I want to say is other people are watching. It says other prisoners were Other people are watching how you and I go through these tough times and trials. And so we can go out there and speak and, and do all these things and we can, you know, rattle off Bible verses on social media, but people are watching how we live and, and where the rubber hits the road is when life isn't easy, what do we do then? And Paul and Silas give us a great example. And for you and for me, we don't know what God is doing in this situation. I'm sure that they were like so confused, Lord, we're doing your work. Why are you allowing this to happen? I'm sure that they were thinking that, but they didn't see what God sees. They didn't see the bigger picture. You know, one of the most optimistic verses in the Bible is, I'm sure you've heard of it, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What does this mean? He works all things. How many things are all things? Tell me, church. 
Everything, right? He works all of those things, good, the bad, the ugly. He works those for our good, for our future good. And so sometimes these terrible things that happen in our life, sometimes the uncomfortable moments in our lives are shaping us for something good down the road. And it might not just be for us, but it might be for the good of the others who love him as well. Are you willing to be uh, used by God for the good of other people? That's the question. And so as we talk about this word optimism, I just wanted to say that the definition of optimism, by the way, is just simply confidence about the future and a successful outcome. And a spiritual definition of it, optimism for us as Christians is an unwavering expectation that God is working every situation for our future good. So Christians, in a sense, this is your case for optimism, is Romans 8, 28. God is working everything out. And so why is it that Christians can uh, suffer through such trial and tribulation and still have joy on the other side? It's because they know that God is working everything for our good and for other people's good. And so whether it's that terrible job situation, right? You just can't stand your boss. Maybe he's corrupt. Maybe he's making the wrong decisions and, and you can't handle it anymore. You're thinking about leaving. You're thinking about rising up and taking over the company. Maybe it's the breakup that you just had. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's abuse that happened in your past. Maybe it's a financial setback. All those things. We can still be optimistic and joyful knowing that God is working every situation for our good. We can't change our circumstances, but we can change our attitude. And how do we do that? Well, my next point then is this. What consumes our minds controls our lives. So what are we thinking about? You know, most of our actions and our reactions come from our mind, our thinking, and whatever we're obsessing about, whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're allowing to come in is going to eventually direct the way that we live, and it's going to direct the way that we treat other people. It's going to direct the way we react when storms come. Now, in this next verse I want to share you, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians. After he's left now, he got out of jail, everything was good, he went on some more missionary journeys, and he's now locked up again. He's in prison one more time as he writes this letter to the Philippians. And if you've ever read the book of Philippians, it's all about having joy and contentment and peace. And the crazy thing is, is that he wrote the entire letter from jail. Again, in a terrible, tough situation, this guy is our model for contentment, joy, and peace, and positivity in tough times. But here's what he says to the Philippians about their thought life, and how they can start controlling what comes in, and how they can control their thoughts to direct their lives. Here's what it says in Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters... One final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, on right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise, okay? So Paul is, is saying, if you're going to have a thought life, right? 
If you're going to be a Christ follower, here's what you need to do. You need to fix your thoughts, first of all, because they're broken. Fix them on what is true and honorable and pure and lovely and admirable. And that word, I was doing a study earlier on these verses in its original language, and that word for lovely is a word, it's only used here in the entire Bible. And, it, and it's used for being positive in, in negative situations is the definition of that word that they're using for the word lovely there, is being able to endure through negative situations. And so we need to fix our thoughts because what consumes our minds tends to control our lives. And so how do we use praise then? It says, think about things that are worthy of praise. And if you think about all these words, these are all describing God, right? Fix your thoughts on God who is truth, who is honorable, who is the only righteous, who is the only one who is pure and lovely and admirable. And that's really the definition of praise is to think of someone with admiration, to think of God and give him the glory, to give him honor, to think of him as the only right, to praise, to sing, to worship. That's how we use praise as a weapon as we direct them towards God instead of thinking about ourselves and being stuck in our situation. Now, I know this is all a lot of like, you know, lofty speech, right? Yeah, like you can say that, pastor, but how do I actually do it? And uh, I remember being in uh, a certain group when I was younger, when I was uh, a teenager, you know, working through some counseling and stuff. And uh, one of their ways of coping through thoughts was to be able to learn how to shut the thought down, right? Because we can't always control what thoughts pop up in our mind, but we can control what we do with it when it comes in. And so they would tell me, "There's you just visualize, like, I want you guys to try this right now. Just shut your, shut your eyes and, and visualize a light switch. And it has the power, and you have the power to just shut that off. Light to dark, you, you shut that off. Or visualize like a, uh, a dam uh, gate that you can, you can open it with one of those uh, circular dealies. What are, those <laughs> what are those called that shut dams? Does anybody know? A what? Floodgate. Yes, that's what I was thinking about. But uh, yeah, think about being, all this water is flowing. I, I, I interrupted your little, your little daydream there. Close your eyes. <laughs> Just visualize water flowing heavily through, through a floodgate. And you're turning that circle thing. <laughs> and you're shutting it off. And all of a sudden, the water is all drying up, Right? These are ideas of where you can change the way, you can remind yourself, I can use these things to stop this thought process. I don't need to keep entertaining this over and over again. I can fix my thoughts, I can stop that, and now what, now what do I got to do? Because the biggest thing about faith is, is trusting God, right? And so the best part about faith, or the biggest test of faith, is trusting Him in the hard times. And so what do we do? When we're going through something and we have a negative thought pop in, we, we shut that off and we start praising God and telling him about how he's always came through. You've came through me, for me before, God, and I, and I trust that you're going to do it again. So my last point then is when we choose to praise God in these tough times, in adversity, it strengthens our faith and it prepares us for future 
trials. Now you're probably thinking, yeah, but why? You know, why does God have to pick on me and beat on me so much? Like, is it because I'm a, a bad person and I just, I'm, 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 I don't listen and so he needed to make my life a little bit harder than other people so that I would listen? And, you know, I don't know exactly why God chooses to allow things to happen to certain people and not others. But I, I would say that it, I don't think it has anything to do with what's going on inside you. I think it's God sees the bigger picture. You know, sometimes I ask myself, like, God, why, why are you using me? You know, why am I here being able to understand your truth when there's so many other people out there? Like, how did it work out that somehow I have a relationship with you when I tried to run from you my entire life as a young man, how did it work out that here I am today? Is it because of something in me that was so smart and I just flipped a switch and I changed my mind and I thought that now, now I can be a good person and follow God? And the answer is no, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me at all. If it was up to me, I wouldn't follow God and I'd be going to hell. But God, in his mercy and compassion, decided to choose me like he's chosen so many of you. And he says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to teach you. Now, your choice is to submit or not. <laughs> now, there were times in my life where I didn't submit. And he had to break me and mold me a little bit. And the Bible talks about God as a potter. In, in Isaiah 64, 8, it says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We're all the work of your hand. And other places in the Bible say, Do we question our potter and say, Why did you make me? No, we accept that he is sovereign. He is in control. And so many times in my life, I didn't want to submit to that. And so he did have to break me down. Like, think about how pottery is made. Again, I have no clue how it's made. But I remember uh, that movie, The Ghost or whatever, a long time ago. Was that Patrick Swayze that was in it? And they're making pottery or whatever. But think about that spinny table and they have to like, you know, mash the clay together, you get it a little wet and then you have to work it and shape it and you crush it in your hands, but then eventually you have to put it in an oven and it, it has to be on fire a little bit to harden, right? That's what God does in our lives and sometimes that's, that's tough, right? And so I would rather submit to his will and not have to be thrown into the fire all the time, all right, and be crushed and shaped and molded. But God is trying to do that in us. We're supposed to have a good attitude, though, when these trials come, when he is trying to work, like we said, because this is going to be for somebody's good or for my good in the future. That's a question I always ask God is, what are you doing? When life's hard, I know you're doing something. You want me to change somewhere. You want me to make a decision in my life. You want me to let go of something that's holding me back. What is it, God? Make it clear. And oftentimes he, he makes it clear because usually it's always for our growth and our maturity. Here's what James says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's how God makes us more mature. It's through discipline, through testing, through trials. Maybe some of you haven't been broken enough yet to turn to God yet. You know, maybe some of you uh, haven't 
um, had God step in your life and, and, and you haven't accepted that he wants to make you new. You've added him a little bit. You, you like hearing his word and, you know, being around his people, but you're not quite sure at that submission level yet. And so, so maybe, maybe there's some immaturity there in, in your lives. Maybe when the first sign of drama or conflict comes up, you're gone. You leave. And I, I know that for me, if God didn't allow a lot of the pain that happened in my life, I would not be prepared for the job that I have today. I would not be prepared for it. There's so much pain. There's so many people that let you down. There's so many people that talk behind your back. And I knew that all this stuff that happened in my life was for a reason. It wasn't, for, it wasn't in vain. And I get to use, use it to help other people, even in the most terrible things that happened in my life, the abuse that happened in my life when I was younger as a kid. I now can share and comfort other people that have had those same things happen to them. So how do we praise? How do we praise during these times so that we can trust that God is growing us well, one last example I want to share with you. Maddie read the verses to us already was um, in Psalm 34. This is David, and I'm going to tell you about his life in just a second, but here's what he says. He says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. David had a tough life. He made a lot of, lot of difficult and wrong decisions. And uh, he ran from God and, and God promised him things that didn't come in his timeline. And at this time of him writing this psalm, he was running from King Saul who was seeking to kill him. David was given, uh, he was given the kingship. He knew he was going to be the king of Israel, but Saul didn't want that to happen. He was the king before him. And so instead of David rightly taking over the throne, he was chased out for years, uh, always looking over his shoulder, wondering if he could die at any moment. He's hiding in a cave at this time. And he, and he writes this song. And that's what psalms are, is they were songs that they sang to remember God's goodness, right? To remember that God will always come through. And David knew that God always came through for him, and so he decided to praise and to worship. And it doesn't just come naturally. We do have to control our thought life. We do have to make intentional decisions to put God first before our feelings, and, and, and we have to choose not to buy into the negativity out there. But when we start training, like a relationship with God is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so it takes a lot of training and discipline. If anybody ever told you Christianity is so easy, uh, they were lying to you. Now, faith and salvation are easy. God provided a way for us to be made right with him, to be his children in a very simple way that takes nothing on our part other than to believe in Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, I haven't done that yet, so I can't do any of this. How can I praise the Lord in whom I don't even know? Maybe he doesn't even know me. Well, if you're here today, I do think that he wants to get to know you. And the way to do that, to start a relationship, to start that praise towards God, is to praise him and 
glorify him for what he did by sending his son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven, we could be made right with him, that now he could make us our children, we, we could uh, have fellowship with him and his people. That is the gospel message, that we trust in Jesus and we praise him. And so today, before we close, uh, I want to take some time to glorify and to praise Jesus for all that he has done for all of us. And uh, how we do that um, on every first Sunday of the month is that we take communion together. And what communion is, is something that Jesus himself set up before he was crucified. The night before he was crucified, he took all the disciples together and he said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time we do this, we're remembering how good God is, how he came through for our ultimate need which was putting his body to be broken on the cross and his blood to be spilled out. That's what communion represents. The wafer is his body and the juice is his blood. And he said, take this and do this in remembrance of me. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to sing one last song of praise together. And I'm excited about this song because this song really fits uh, this sermon today, how, how even though we're going through tough trials, God has came through before and he can do it again. And so if you're willing to participate with us, all we ask, all you have to do to participate in communion is to be a believer, to have trusted in Jesus. And that's something that you do between him and you. If you want to pray about it later, we can pray if you want to come up. But if you want to pray right now with me, and then take communion as a first act of praising God, then do that with me now. And everyone else, take it after, this pray, uh, after I pray, I'm going to have everyone come up, and you can go back to your seats, and we'll take it together. Pray with me. Father, sometimes it's so hard to put all these things into practice. Sometimes it's not the first thing that pops up in our minds is to glorify and praise you and to remember all the good things that you've done in our lives. So Lord, we need your help with that. Because sometimes we can say all this stuff like, like a self-help book or sermon. That's not what this was about. And that's not what your word is about. We can't help ourselves. We need you. And that's what we proclaim. That's why we praise you, because we need you. And so, Lord, please help us with this part of our life as well. Help us to praise you in the tough times. Help us to control our thoughts. Help us to have a positive attitude and remember all that you've done for us, even in the struggle and the trial that's going on in our lives. Lord, I pray as we take this communion and remember you, that you would be glorified, honored, and praised. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.